0: Welcome to the October 29th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and the sermon is entitled, Finding Motivation to Endure, delivered today by Pastor Nathan Williams. Good morning. I'm excited just to share with you about our Redeemer this morning, the book of Hebrews chapter 12. So you'll go ahead and start flipping there. But I just want to reflect briefly on the season of the year we're in. October's almost over, believe it or not. And then the holidays are gonna be here. And then we'll have to start saying a new word, 2024. I'm just getting used to 2023. But with the new year often comes little traditions. And one of them are the ideas a lot of us get in our minds of making a resolution that we're gonna change, something about us we're gonna do differently. Maybe we have a goal of starting a new habit at the new year. Maybe we have a goal of losing some weight, working out more, whatever it is, but often the same thing that makes that popular is the reality that often, if you look a few months later, how many are still working on their resolution? Maybe a few weeks later, how many are working on the resolution? Or maybe in my case, a few days later, how many are still working on their resolution? Our motivation we had at the beginning often fades And we lose our sight of what we were trying to do. And it makes me think of when I was younger in high school, I got to run on our cross-country team. I wasn't talented enough to be a good baseball player. I was too much of a stick to be a star football player. But I guess I was hard-headed enough to run and run and run and run on the cross-country team. But I learned a thing or two about the idea of endurance, of running even when it's hard, pushing through things even when it's hard, for the goal of what's trying to be accomplished. We would start cross-country races and like a flurry of like chariots of fire were running, people taking pictures, and it's amazing. But often, a mile or two in, when you're in the woods, the crowd's not cheering on, no one's taking pictures anymore, you run up on a hill or through a hard part, and you have to find somewhere the motivation to keep on running with everything you have. Find somewhere to dig deep and to keep on going when no one's there to keep on. The adrenaline rush is over, the pain's there, but you're supposed to keep on running. And it makes me think of our lives as disciples of Christ. Sometimes when we're at church, the crowds around us, maybe people are taking pictures. It's easy to be obedient. It's easy to be loving. Maybe it's not, I don't know. But it's typically easier when we're around people. Or when we first come to know Christ, the excitement of the Spirit changing us and the hope we have in Christ and we want to run for him. But then the crowds fade or new seasons come and we find ourselves in the woods facing hills trying to find in ourselves how are we going to keep on running and being obedient to Christ in all we do. And for me this is a real issue of trying to find motivation to continue enduring and obedience to Christ even when it's hard. When family issues wear us thin, where do we find the motivation to love people that are hard to love? When our schedules burn us out, where do we find the endurance to be obedient to finding time to read God's word and spend time with our Savior every day? When people pass or sickness or diagnosis come, where do we find the motivation to worship God's greatness and his goodness? Or maybe when Doubt, clouds, our minds, where do we find the motivation to endure in our faith to our Savior? Or when we have temptation and we have sin and shame in our life as a follower of Christ, where do we find the ability to walk free as in peace as a child of God? And today I believe the book of Hebrews chapter 12 shows us the solution to all these things of how do we find endurance in our race for Christ And I think it's essential as we read this passage to understand this. So let's go ahead and read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint hearted. Would you pray with me again? Holy Father, Just thank you for your grace that we have your word that can speak truth to us. And you know all of our hearts. You know where all of us are today. And I pray that you will minister through your word to all of us how we need it. That you'll sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. And that you'll help us grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin looking at this passage, I I want us to look at the first phrase where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. It would be very easy for me to make this whole sermon only about this great cloud of witnesses. Because if you read Hebrews chapter 11, there's a long list. The hall of faith or the hall of fame of people in the Old Testament who had their faith in God. But I think in order to understand this passage and frame our thinking of it properly, we need to see the end of Hebrews 11. Where in Hebrews 11, verse 39, it says, And all these, talking about all the people in this list, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Verse 40, since God had provided something better for us. So when we start looking at this passage, all these people, this great cloud of witnesses are great because they had their faith in the promise of God. The promise being Jesus Christ coming and freeing us from our sin. But they didn't see that promise revealed. But we have. We have the promise of Christ revealed to us. So as we look at this passage, we need to understand that we know who Jesus is. We know that our faith, the object of our faith, is Christ. So our understanding of this passage needs to be centered not on the cloud of witnesses, but on the, who the cloud of witnesses were having their faith in. And that was the promise to come, who's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So when we see verse two where it says, looking to Jesus. And we see the beginning of verse three where it says, consider him. This reveals that what we see in this passage, the solution to find motivation in our endurance and obedience is not some system, it's not some list of truths, it's not the example of people, but it's a person, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We're going to see today that this passage shows us the example of Christ and how he motivates us to endure in him. You'll see that in Jesus we find the motivation to endure. And I'm going to give you up front the three things I want us to look at. We see three ways that Jesus Christ motivates us to endure in our obedience. We see that Christ motivates us through his exhortation to endure. That Christ motivates us through his encouragement to endure. And that Christ motivates us through his empowerment to endure for him. So let's go ahead and look at this first idea that's showed so clearly in verse 1 of this passage. That Christ motivates us through his exhortation to endure. When we look to our Savior, he speaks to us. He doesn't leave us in a dark. He speaks through his word what the life that follows him looks like. We see that in verse 1. Where the author says, let us also lay aside every weight In sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with the endurance the race that is set before us. Our Lord exhorts us, or commands us, or challenges us, urges us on how we should live for Him, how we should find our motivation to live for Him, and it's to know what following Him looks like, to know the truth. That there are things in our life that can weigh us down from being able to know the joy of living for him. There's beautiful things about the gospel. There's also the truth that we have sinned that we must take care of. And Jesus motivates us by exhorting us, hey, that weight and the sin in your life needs to be laid aside so you can run for me. When I ran across country, we would train with these big shoes and other outfits. But during race day, we would put on the lightest shoes we could find And we would find the nicest clothes that would make us aerodynamic, I'll put it that way, and we would run so nothing would hold us back from running a few seconds faster. Some way Jesus is exhorting us, challenging us, hey, in your life, you need to lay everything aside that keeps you from running to me and for me. We have a responsibility to lay things aside, every weight and every sin, which tells me there's things in our lives, weights in our lives, where we may not look in the Bible and say, Oh, this is a blatant sin, but if we look and it's not pushing us to Christ and towards Christ, it's a weight in our life that's hindering us from running the race for Christ. But also often those weights turn into sins. That hold us in bondage to the shame we have that our relationship with God's broken. And Jesus is exhorting us, showing us in this passage, lay that to the side. Come to me and run for me. And sometimes hearing those words, hearing that ex- exhortation, this challenge from Jesus is hard. Because it rubs up against us. Of Well, the gospel is good news. This is like I need to do something. And I am say both are true makes me think of when I ran, I'm going to mention cross-country a lot because it ties in perfectly, but when I had a coach who would tell me to stretch, which no one wants to stretch, who would tell me to weight train for running, I was like, what does this have to do, or to sprint? I'm like, I'm a long-distance runner, not a sprinter. He would make me do all these hard things, but if I listened to him and did them, it made me better at running same way Jesus is challenging and exhorting us with truths of laying things aside in our life so that we can run more freely for him. And it's for our good. So when we look to Christ and we see him sternly exhort us and challenge us to live a certain way, or we see a command in scripture where he speaks, this is wrong, we should see the intentions of our Savior that he wants us to know what abundant life looks like living for him. And that's with sin out of our life with wrong living out of our life. Things that we may say, oh, it's okay, everyone else, but it's not necessarily wrong, but it keeps us from pushing towards Christ and glorifying Christ. Jesus wants us to lay all those things aside. And Jesus is much more than just some teacher who's wise and gives this exhortation to us. We see in verse 2 that as we look we're looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see that Jesus speaks this truth to us, not just because he figured it out. But he's the one who created everything and made us for a reason. He's the one who's it the way to God through his work on the cross. And he's seated at the right hand of God in authority. So we should listen to him, not just as a wise teacher... There's our creator who is urging us to walk rightly before him. It makes me think of when I was a kid, my parents would tell me to always hold their hand when we left Walmart. And I, little three-year-old, five-year-old, whatever I was, thought that was the worst idea ever. It's like, why do you want me to do that? I just want to run. That's so much more fun. But... My parents weren't doing that because they were mean, hateful people. They were doing it because they loved me and didn't want me to turn into a pancake when I ran out of the Walmart shopping center. The same way when Jesus exhorts us, it's easy to, and he challenges us, it's easy to go, I don't like that. I don't want to look at my sin. I don't want to confront this conviction in my life with the secret sins in my life that I don't confess to God, the habits in my life I don't turn over to God. But we need to see that Jesus who created is telling us this to help us like parents help their children. You tell your children to do things out of love, not out of hate. So the first thing we see is we see a loving Savior who exhorts us to endure, to lay sin aside, to lay weights aside so we can run freely to him. But that's not all that he gives us. And praise God for that. It's not just a challenge. It's like, here it is, run for it. Our Lord is so much more. And we see if we continue in this passage, looking at verse 2 again more closely, we see that looking to Jesus, we see that Christ motivates us through his encouragement to endure. He shows us that when we look to our Lord, he is more than a person of authority who made us, but he's a Lord who sympathizes and understands us. Because when we look to Jesus in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See that Jesus did something pretty significant that we all hear, we all know about. but how often do we look to it and think about that? Paul does it in Philippians chapter 2 where he shows that Jesus... Gave up his equality with God, became a man, humbled himself to a servant, humbled himself to the point of death, and even death on a cross. Why? Because God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ exhorts us in how to live, but he encourages us by coming alongside us in our mess, in our brokenness, to make a way for us. One of the beautiful things about him being brought low that the book of Hebrews perfectly displays is that, that means that we don't have a Savior. We don't have a Lord who sits up commanding us like, you better get in line. How in the world could you do this? No, he sympathizes with us. He understands us. He knows what it's like to try to have, need motivation to endure for doing the will of his father while he was a man. And he did it perfectly. That doesn't mean he doesn't know how it's hard. He was brought low, but then he is brought high and exalted, and he's seated at the right hand of God. And the author of Hebrew paints this beautiful picture of how Jesus is our advocate. Using the wording of a high priest, which may seem like Old Testament lingo we don't really want to think about, but it's a beautiful picture of Old Testament priest knew what it was like to be a sinful Israelite, but they were set apart, made holy to advocate on behalf of them by making sacrifices for them, praying for them. The same way the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is our better advocate and high priest. He encourages us because he knows what it's like to be a man. And he encourages us because he is God now who can confidently say he can bring us through. So that means when we are looking for motivation to endure, we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. I just want to take the time to read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, just because it is so beautiful of this picture of who Jesus is. So the beginning of Hebrews chapter 4, beginning of verse 14 through 16, God speaks to us through the author saying this. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If that is an encouragement from our Lord, I don't know what is. That he sympathizes with us. He knows what it's like to need to struggle towards doing God's will. He, does it, he did it perfectly. That doesn't mean he, it was easy for him. So when our Lord exhorts us and tells us, hey, lay aside your sin, live for me, he knows what it's like. As we run our race, we're not alone in having a Savior. who doesn't understand what we're going through. When I ran cross-country, I've had two different coaches when I was in high school. One who he did some cross-country, but I think he was doing it for the paycheck. I don't think it paid much, but that's all he was doing it for. And he said, just go run, do this. And that's all. we just would run, and he wouldn't really invest in us but then I had a coach who ran in college and high school he was the real deal and he knew what it was like to work hard and for it to pay off he knew what it was like to endure in workouts so when he would tell me to do all these weird stretches and weird workouts it encouraged me because I knew he knew what he was talking about I knew he wasn't just making it up to laugh at my pain no he was doing it because he knew it was for my good and we have a Savior who motivates us through encouraging us in this way. We can endure knowing that Jesus understands us and has made a way for us through his work on the cross. But he doesn't do it and then wag his finger at us when we mess up, but he sympathizes with us. So when family issues do wear us thin, it doesn't necessarily make it any easier to love others, but we know that Jesus knows what that's like. His brothers didn't believe in him. John chapter 7, verse 5 shows us that. When our schedule burns us out, we can know that Jesus also struggled with people coming to him all the time, busy, and then he was weary. John 4, he just sat down at the well and sent the disciples on to rest. I think he had intentions in that, but he was resting for a little bit. He often would send the disciples ahead so he could be still and be with God. He knows what it's like to balance a busy schedule. When people pass or diagnoses come that we don't know how to find the motivation to worship God's goodness through, Jesus wept for his friends who died. Jesus suffered knowing his diagnosis that was going to come after Gethsemane on the cross. He knows what it's like to worship and do God's will through that. So we're not alone when we struggle through it too. When doubt clouds our mind, Jesus was fully God, and that was never limited. But as a man, he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to say, Lord, can you pass this cup away? But he says, not my will, but your will. He knows what it's like. Matthew 4 is clear. He knows what it's like to be tempted. And I don't think Satan gives as much attention to me as he did to Jesus. So if anything, he knows what it's like to be tempted even greater than I do. So he can sympathize with us. And that is the greatest encouragement that we can ever find in scriptures. That our Savior and our Lord who died for us. Out of his love for us. For the joy of having a relationship with us. Calls us to live for him but also understands that it's hard. And he intercedes for us as a high priest. He prayed for Peter. I believe he prays for us. Romans 8 shows that the Spirit prays and intercedes on our behalf. We have a Savior who is actively praying for us, who understands us, but yet still calls us to come to him. But the greater beauty of this passage is Jesus is more than a motivational coach who knows what it's like to run hard races. He's so much more than that. The gospel is so much more than we're exhorted to live for Christ. Christ understands us and made a way for us. Now we better go figure it all out. No, there's much more. And we see that as we continue looking through this passage. That Christ motivates us, not just through his exhortation, not just through his encouragement, but Christ motivates us through his empowerment. To endure in our lives is active work in us. In verse 2, it says, looking to Jesus. And how is Jesus described? The founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the one who planned out the way to come to him. I love the translation that many of you have that say the finisher, not just perfecter. He completes it for us. He empowers us. That's why he endured the cross, so that he could then work through us actively. In verse 3 is when this opens up and comes alive fully. Consider him. That word consider, maybe in our English it's used multiple times, but in the original Greek it's only used one time in the Old Testament. And it's used describing Jesus. That we should consider him or consider carefully. Think out thoroughly who Jesus is. What he has done. And what that means for us. And verse 3 continues by saying... Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. So, when we consider Jesus and what he's done, he speaks to us a clear truth that he purchased our life of obedience to him, not just our freedom from sin. He purchased the right to work through us and in our lives. Not just the right to give us a way. He didn't just pay our ticket to run in a race and then we have to figure out. No, he is running it with us and for us. And when we consider it and think thoroughly, what, what's the implications of what Jesus has done? It makes me think of in Matthew where the point is made that when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn in two. So that God's presence was no longer separate from his people in the holy of holies, but in his people. That's something worth considering of what Jesus did. Philippians 2, 13 through 14 show that we need to work out our salvation, but it's clear that it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we're not empowered in the sense that we probably hear in culture that people are empowered into their own ability, whatever's within them that they're trying to find. No, we're empowered because Christ embeds his power in us. That's what frees us, not ourselves. And that is the greatest motivation to be able to endure, is that he works through us. And it makes me think of Dick Hoyt. I think I'm pronouncing his last name right. But he was a man who lived in the 1950s, 60s, and I think he died maybe 10 years ago. But he had a son who had cerebral palsy. And it was to such an intense degree that the son's legs couldn't move. His arms could barely move. His face and mouth could barely even move. But one day, that son, through some technology they had, was able to tell his dad that he knew someone who was having a Five mile run in his honor to raise money. It's like, Dad, I want to run that race. What type of dumb dumb request is that? Someone who's bound to a wheelchair asking to run a race. But what Dick Hoyt did, he says, Okay, let's you can do it. He didn't miraculously heal his son, but he ran carrying his son and pushing his son on that race. And he went on to do a thousand races like this where they would do Ironman where he had to swim and bike and run and he would pull and push his son along the whole way. Isn't that an image of our Savior in our lives? That our endurance for Christ and our obedience for him is found only in our faith in him working in us and through us. And when we think it's ourselves that have to figure out, we're losing the truth and the hope of the gospel. Because I don't know about you, but I always let myself down in some way or another. Or more clearly, I always will let God down in some way or another and on myself. But the good news is that Jesus works through us to where we can have a life of obedience by his spirit working through us. And that. That motivates me. Because it takes the burden off of me and puts it onto Christ. That doesn't mean we don't have responsibility in this or we can just take it easy and sin and do whatever we want because what did verse 1 say? What did Christ exhort us to do? To lay aside our sin, to repent, to live for him, not to walk in sin. Because that actually holds us back. But we're to put our faith in Christ so he can work through us and empower us to live out Our obedience. He does that by dying on the cross. Taking on all of your sin, all of my sin. The author of Hebrews also makes clear, we don't have to flip there, but in chapter 9, verse 14, that the eternal spirit in Christ did so much more than just allow God to forgive us, but it purified our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. Us, I can't lay aside my sin in that way. But Jesus can. He can lay aside my sin in such a full way that I am empowered to live for a living, work for the living God, serve for the living of God because of His work in me. And we consider this Jesus and what He's done thoroughly. We see that this applies in all our situations. In our burnout, in our temptation, in our failings, the heart of faith finds itself at the foot of the cross looking at Jesus for help. And when we look into the eyes of our Savior and see that for the joy that is before him, that we can have a free life in him, he is suffering so that he can purify us from our sin, that his spirit cannot just be bound up in the temple but be in us, at work, through us, That motivates me to live for him and to make him known to everyone I know. Because that is good news. It's not a game. It's not a religion. It's a person. It's a God. Who, while we were still sinners, died for us. So that we might have life in his name. It makes me think about, I, I got lucky to where I was invited to sail with my uncle. And I know what it's like to sail a little bit. But it makes me think of how quickly in my own life sometimes I, I'm kind of a dumb sailor who looks at the sail. And I, I don't know what the thing's called, but there's this big, key, it's something that moves back and forth and moves the main sail. And if I think that if I move it, I'm waving myself along, I'm kind of, I'm missing the point of what sailing is. Sailing is moving it so that the wind can empower it and push it along. So that when you're done sailing, you don't say, Wow, look at how I moved the sail. You say, Wow, the sail was moved by the wind. And all I did was put myself in the right line with it. And that's what it's like to be carried by Christ in this race. Not to look into ourselves and be proud of how great we are, But to always steer our heart's motives. Always steer our faith to Christ and his work through us. And that unlocks the motivation to actually endure in our obedience. Because Jesus will complete it. He will see us through to the end. Even when we're faithless, he'll be faithful. So that means in verse 3. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So that we, I'm changing the word here, but we may not grow weary or faint hearted. We do not have to grow weary and faint hearted in our life following Christ. If our faith is squarely in him. And I don't want to talk about me, I want to talk about Christ, but most of my life that's how I lived. My dad was a pastor, I grew up in the church, I was 20 before this. I actually understood what the gospel was because I was like, I see the exhortation, and let me live for him. Oh wow, look at the beautiful encouragement and promises in the Bible. That enables me to now live for him. It's all about me. And my worth and my value was all tied up in myself, not in looking to Christ and considering what his work on the cross actually did for me. And my life was marked by fear and unfulfillment because I was always fearful that I would not do enough to impress God. And I would look for encouragement in the scripture to make me feel a little bit better about myself, but it never took away the feeling that I had sin clinging to me, weighing me back. But when I understood that by grace, God had saved me and worked through my life that he works through me and all I have to do is put my faith in him, not myself. Even under the facade of Christianity, I need to put my faith in Christ, not myself. It empowered me to endure for my Lord. And it empowered me to taste of the joy that Christ was enduring the cross for. Of a fellowship and a relationship with our God. So today, when we read this passage and we look at our lives, and it's hard. Most of y'all gone through things I don't even know. I can't even understand. But I know my Lord is unchanging. That if we look to him and we consider and think through thoroughly what he has done, we will see the gospel, the good news, that Christ can redeem us. And see us through our lives, even in our failing. So as I end and we get to the end, I just just urge all of you, I guess I exhort all of you to consider him. Who endured the cross for the joy set before him. So that we wouldn't have to grow weary and faint hearted in our walk with him. And look to him and put your faith in him, not yourself. Let's pray. Holy Father, I just thank you and praise you for the hope that you give us through Christ. I just pray that you will make clear to all of us through your word who Jesus is, and that we will see him. Not an idea that Nathan's talked about, not some words on a page in an old book, but that we will see Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and put our faith in his work. In Jesus' name, amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.